0: This past Sunday, last Sunday, we actually started a new book series in the book of First Peter. We're calling our theme through book First Peter, Fighting as Victors. Fighting as Victors. We just started it this past Sunday, looked at a portion of chapter 1, and we're going to continue that study this morning as we look at verses 10 to 21 of 1 Peter chapter 1. So I hope it's going to be a blessing to you. I'm sure it will be. So if you'll join me there in 1 Peter, I'd like to read our text for this morning. If you remember from last week, we uh, we talked about a living hope. We talked about seven wonderful promises we receive from God and we paused and looked at those promises and as we read through a letter, 1st Peter, we have to remember where we're coming from because it's a letter. These people would have been reading the entire letter straight through. And that is something we encourage as we study through 1st Peter. I do encourage you if you can every single week read through 1st Peter. You will get a great idea of where Peter is coming from. The themes will pop out and you will have an understanding of where we're coming from and where we're headed to. So we're going to read verses 10 to 21 from 1 Peter chapter 1. Please join me there. Peter says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. May the Lord bless the teaching of his word this morning. Did you ever lose focus on something important? We all have at some point, right? Did you ever lose focus on something important? I'll bring it up on an awkward topic, and I won't poll the audience. Did you ever lose focus on the road while driving? I will go on a limb and say we have probably, amongst us, the most distracted drivers we've ever had in the history of time. Would you agree with that? Okay. We have cell phones that are readily available in our hands. We're we're in tune to the noises. We're in tune to the vibrations of those cell phones. We can't not look at a notification when it comes in. And unfortunately, people, I've noticed while driving, people are maniacs. And I'm probably included in that. Um, But people are the most distracted while driving they've ever been. I'm going to share a story with you about one time I was distracted while driving. But it wasn't due to a cell phone. It wasn't due to the radio. It wasn't even due to a GPS unit. You know why I was distracted? I was incredibly tired. I was making this journey, this two-hour journey on the highway, the interstate, and I entered the journey already tired. That's a bad place to be, isn't it? And it was one of those trips that I had taken before several times, so I knew the journey very well. It didn't have a lot of bends or turns. It was just one long, straight shot on the highway for two hours. It was the perfect storm. Because it was night, I was tired, I had the perfect temperature in the car, I had my own music on in the car, which isn't very lively, it's kind of chill, that's kind of the music I like. Good for me, but bad for sleepy Todd. And my eyes were incredibly heavy, so I was driving this really long journey with really heavy eyes, and it was bad. It was one of those times where I, I, my, my eyes would close, but only you know momentarily, and I would open them up and get panicked, but... One of these times, I believe, my eyes shut for a few seconds. Now, I don't think I actually was asleep, but I was very, very close. My eyes were, were closed for probably five to six seconds, long enough to when I woke up, my car was past the rumble strips. I was actually now hugging on the side of the road, about to go over the ditch that there was there on the side of the road, and it, it was panic time. I woke up and, you know, have the kind of like jerk that kind of like pulls you into the other lane Uh, because you're jerking so far, but uh, I realized at that moment I was in a dangerous place. Now, what would a smart person do if they realized they were falling asleep while driving? A smart person would probably pull over. You guys are smart. You guys are smart. Unfortunately, I was not. But I did decide to help myself stay awake. So I was going to make this journey. I wanted to get home at the time I wanted to get home by. I didn't want to stop and pull off and take a nap or go to a hotel or something. But I wanted to keep myself awake. So I had to create an environment to help me stay focused while I make the rest of this journey. So you know what I did? I took off my nice chill music and I put on some really loud, annoying music. And I want you to think of the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? (laughs) And you'll have an idea of what I'm talking about. Really loud, really annoying music. I had to turn it on for the rest of the trip. My music wasn't going to cut it. I also opened the windows blasted myself with cold air. It was probably February or November, something like that. It was chilly. But I had to get that comfortable 69 temperature out of the car. That was doing me no good. So all the windows came down. I was blasting myself with cold air. I also turned all the inside lights on in a car. Which I think when I was younger, my parents told me, you can get arrested for that. (laughs) Is that real? Anyways, I was willing to risk being arrested for my lights being on in my car. So I turned all my lights on. And I also did something very, very weird. I actually started to smack myself every time I found myself getting a little tired. So, okay, imagine if you're a car passing by me, (laughs) which happened a few times. Loud, annoying music blaring out the windows. All my lights are on, all my windows are down, and I am smacking myself. If you're you're passing a person like that, you either want to zoom way past or just get off the road. But I was creating an environment that wasn't going to allow myself to lose focus once again and probably put myself and others in grave danger. Did you ever lose focus on something important? Where well, We're going to talk about our glorious salvation today. That's the theme, the title of our lesson today. Our salvation, our glorious salvation. And we're going to look at the, the 11 verses, the 12 verses we just read. Peggy Long asked me one time, though, she said, why don't you share any positive stories from your past? And I said, well, Peggy, there's a problem. A, I don't have a lot. And B, they're not that exciting. So imagine if I got up here and said, hey, I took a lot of journeys in my car, and I was not tired, and I made the trip great. There you go. Enjoyable? Sorry, Peggy. Just had to pick on you a little bit. The reason I share so many stories is A, because I have a lot and B, because I think they're helpful for you to understand where we're coming from. But let's look at the glorious salvation of our Lord Jesus today. This is a really important study and I don't mean to lighten the mood by my story here at the beginning because this is a really important topic we're talking about today and I hope you will pay attention. I hope you will. I hope you'll open your minds and your hearts to what's being said today because it's really important. You have to remember that we're reading a letter We're coming from the first 10 verses that we read, and I want to highlight two verses. If you have your Bible, look at verse 5 and look at verse 9, and we will understand the context of what Peter has laid here. He says in verse 5 of chapter 1, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Salvation. He says in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And the way he starts verse 10 is concerning this salvation. So he is now going to speak on and elaborate on our salvation. And that's exactly what we're going to look at today. But what is the salvation Peter refers to here? What is he talking about? Well, as I do often and typically, I look up a word in the dictionary, just so we understand what this word means. And I looked up salvation in the dictionary, just curious what it would say. And this is what it said. This is the definition It says preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. Isn't that a good definition? Preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. We have been delivered or rescued from something. And we're going to look at that something. It says in Colossians 1.13-14, listen to what it says. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that a wonderful truth to know? That Christ has delivered us from Satan's domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his his Son. You can look into Scripture and find this, which we do find here in 1 Peter, that salvation for us, for believers, has a past, has a present and has a future tense. And I'll give you examples here. In Ephesians 2, 8-9, to very familiar verses in the Bible, it says, We have been saved by grace through faith. You're familiar with that passage, right? We have been saved by grace through faith. So it's talking in the past tense. You have been saved. But it also says things like this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. You are being saved. The salvation is in the process of of happening. So your salvation is past, but it's also present. And then we find in First Peter, along with passages like Romans 13, 11, that we will be saved. That our salvation is future tense as well. So you could say very confidently, based on the word of God, our salvation has a past, a present, and a future. And I hope you'll understand that as we go through First Peter, that what he's talking about in the beginning of of Chapter 1 is our future tense salvation. It's a salvation that we haven't yet received, but if we follow Christ, we will receive. But you need to understand that the salvation is all-encompassing. It's it's probably the most important topic, besides the Lord Jesus himself, that Christians could study. So it's a really important lesson today, and again, I hope you'll be blessed by this. But in order to understand properly our salvation and to appreciate it, we have to properly understand what we're saved from. Do you remember the definition saved from harm, ruin or loss? What harm, ruin and loss are Christians saved from? What is it? What are we actually saved from? We just sang a song, Jesus is our rescuer. And that was well timed. I didn't I didn't tell them to sing that song. It was just well timed. It says he's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin. Forevermore, The first thing that you and I needed to be saved from was sin. Sin. See, we are born sinners because of what Adam and Eve have done in the Garden of Eden. Every single person who is a descendant of Adam and Eve, which is everybody besides Jesus, because he was born via the Holy Spirit, is a sinner by birth. But it also says in Romans 6, 16 to 17, that we have actually become slaves of sin. Think about that term. Slaves of sin. In other words, we are chained to our sin. There is nothing that you and I can do on our own to change that situation. We're chained to our sin. We are enslaved to sin. It's similar. Here's a really good parallel. The Israelites, when they were in Egypt back in the Old Testament, weren't they slaves? They were slaves to Egypt. They were slaves. They were treated horribly. But there was nothing they could do to rectify that situation they had to be saved or delivered from that. And so it is with you and I with sin. We are slaves of sin, and unless we are saved from that condition, that will be our condition for the rest of eternity. So the first thing we are saved from is our sin. In fact, if you read the the account of Matthew where Jesus is born, the Holy Spirit comes to uh, uh, J- excuse me, Joseph and Mary, and says to them, "You will call your son's name Jesus, because his name means Savior of Sinners. That's the very meaning of the name Jesus, Savior of Sinners." So when Jesus Christ comes into our soul, the first thing that He does is He saves us from our sin. Or we sing sometimes, "The chains are gone, we've been set free." Isn't that a great thing about Christ? That he has removed the chains of sin. That you and I can walk and get up and leave that enslavement. We are not any longer owned by the devil. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's the first thing. That's the first harm, ruin, and loss that you and I are saved from is our sin. And how grievous, how heinous is sin? Sin. Really, there's no way to calculate it. In God's eyes, it's the worst thing ever. And so if you understand scripture, that when Christ saves us from our sin, we aren't sinners any longer. Do you guys know that? He actually changes our nature to now we are a term called saints. And really, that's a term that is synonymous with Christian in the Bible. That once you trust in Jesus Christ, he saves you from your sin and changes your nature to become a saint who is a person that is no longer chained to their sin now as we'll talk about here in a little bit we still have a flesh and that flesh still desires sin but we are no longer chained to that flesh and chained to that sin any longer we are no longer owned by the devil we are now victors and it's all to Christ's credit and glory you and i can actually say no to sin and there was a time in our life in my life that i couldn't say no to sin Because I hadn't been saved yet. I was still trying on my own power to change the situation, the really bad situation. But I couldn't. I had to be delivered. And we have a Savior, don't we? And the first thing that he does is he saves us from our sins. The next thing that we're saved from, thankfully, is the consequences of our sin. The next thing the Lord Jesus saves us from is the consequences of that sin. Because he does two things. He changes our path, and by changing our path, he changes our destination. But you know what he also does? Forgives our sins. And how can Jesus forgive sins? By dying. By spilling his blood. By being the payment to God that God demands for sin. Jesus gave his life. We just celebrated it in communion. And now the wages of sin for us is not death any longer because we have found forgiveness. And our path has been changed. And our nature has been changed. We are now heirs of the kingdom of God. But one time it wasn't that way. We were waiting eternal death. Or you could even say worse than that still. God's wrath against wickedness. And the term wrath means righteous anger. God has righteous anger against those who sin. And unless we're saved, God will unleash that wrath someday in full. And it will be perfectly just. And you and I had incurred a debt, a really, really big debt before God. The debt of our sin, again, was really beyond calculation. How much have you and I sinned before the Holy God? I don't know. I'm not sure I want to know. But that debt was enormous. And when Jesus Christ came... He gave up his life, and that one payment was sufficient to cover all of my sins and all of your sins completely. Jesus saves us from the consequences of our sin. He forgives us. And unless you understand forgiveness, you'll never understand your glorious salvation. Because Jesus forgave your sins. And that doesn't mean God swept the sins under the rug. There was a payment For those sins. In full, you don't owe the debt to God any longer because of Jesus Christ. We are free from condemnation if we have repented of and found forgiveness of our sins. And I hope you can say amen to that today. That you are saved from your sin, but you're also saved from the consequences of your sin. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we'll circle back to these things in a little bit. But the third thing the Lord Jesus saves us from is hopelessness. Hopelessness. See, being enslaved to sin and awaiting the eternal wrath of God with nothing you can do about it is utterly hopeless. I can't create or imagine a more hopeless scene than being chained to your sins, knowing that God has wrath against sin, and knowing there's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes I like to watch movies of people who have been stranded on the sea I just find it very interesting how people could survive, you know, days and months on the sea by themselves. And those stories interest me. But imagine this. Imagine being stranded on the open sea in a small raft and you have no food, you have no water, and nobody knows where you are. And you have no idea where land is, no idea about how to let anyone know where you are. Can you imagine the hopelessness that would enter your soul? This situation we were in with our sin is way beyond that. We were chained to our sin. We couldn't free ourselves. And we were awaiting the eternal wrath of God. And the third thing that the Lord Jesus saves us from, that actually we learned last week, is he saves us from hopelessness. And he gives us an eternal hope. And again, imagine that situation where you're stranded on the sea. You have no water. You have no food. You're shriveling. You're dying. And no sign of life whatsoever. And all of a sudden, a big rescue ship comes your way. Someone looking specifically for you. Imagine the hope that would enter your soul at that moment. Do you understand this glorious salvation? Are you getting the picture? We were once chained to our sin, awaiting the wrath of God on a fast track to hell, and the Lord Jesus Christ came specifically for you and I to free us, to give us life, to give us hope, to replace that hopelessness with what Peter calls a living hope, an eternal hope. And that is the greatest thing that's ever come to mankind. When Christ comes into our soul, it's akin, like I said before, to seeing a huge rescue ship coming your way if you're stranded on the water. And this glorious salvation that we're talking about today is free. This is the most shocking thing about this salvation. It's free. Free of charge. And every time you hear that, every time you get a piece of mail right? Something says it's free, free money, free TVs, free trip. There's always an enormous catch, isn't there? What's the catch? I always ask that question. What's the catch? But with the Lord's, with the Lord's salvation here, Jesus paid for this salvation by himself. And he offers it to mankind as a free gift. Do you guys know that? That you could find freedom from your sin, freedom from the wrath of God, and freedom from your hopeless state And it's all absolutely free, no charge, because Christ Jesus has paid for it by himself. If we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, and that's not a catch, that's an obvious reception to the grace of God by saying, yes, Lord. I want this, Lord. I invite this into my soul, Lord. I can't do without this, Lord. My sins, I don't want them any longer, Lord. They've been hurting me. They've been hurting you. I want to let them go. That's simply saying yes to this free gift. Have you been gloriously saved by Jesus Christ today? Have you? Do you have that hope within your soul? Is your sin the chains that was holding you down? Are you free from those sins? Are you free from the wrath of God? I hope you don't overlook this one chance at salvation because this is the only hope we have. If this ship passes by us, we'll never see it again. You need to grab on to the hope and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ today. And this is all before we get to the text. This is to set the stage for what Peter is going to say when he says, concerning this salvation, you need to understand how glorious this thing is. And so what Peter is going to do here is what I'm calling a motivation sandwich. Because in verses 10 to 12, he's going to motivate us based on this salvation. And then in verses 13 to 16, he's going to give us instruction based on this salvation. And then in the last five verses, he's going to give us more motivation based on the instruction he just gave us. So this is called a motivation sandwich, the text we're going to look at. And let's look at it now. It says in verse 10, concerning this salvation. Remember, saved from sin, saved saved from wrath, and saved from hopelessness. Before we get into this, who would jump in front of a car to save your life? Don't yell it out loud, but who in your life would jump in front of a car to save your life? I'm guessing you have at least a person or a few people or maybe even people in this church that you believed if your life was in grave danger, that person would actually step in front of harm for you. But what if you had abused everyone in your life for years? What if you had actively hurt everyone? Everyone who cares about you for years. Who then would step in front of a car for you? If you actively hurt and abused all the people who love you for countless years, would you have anyone to come to your rescue? See, it says that in Scripture that Jesus died for us while we were sinners. While we were hostile to God, while we were God's enemies, Jesus stepped the cross does that amaze you we had hurt god and christ for years and years and years we were hostile we were enemies we hated righteousness and jesus came at that specific time and went on the cross and to me that's amazing that while we were enemies christ jesus died for us this salvation we have received is so glorious according to verse 10 that even the prophets of God searched and inquired carefully to understand this thing. And I love this description. The prophets of God wanted to know about this Jesus. They had heard about a Christ. They had heard about a Messiah who was coming. But they didn't know his name. They didn't experience his life. They didn't have any firsthand understanding of Jesus Christ. And they wanted to know, as you might want to know, hey, I'm a prophet of God. I, I demand to know what this Jesus is going to be like, what this grace is going to be like. So they searched and they inquired carefully about this wonderfully prophesied Jesus Christ who would single-handedly save his people from their sin, from their death, and from their hopelessness. Who is this Jesus? What would it be like to know him and experience his powerful grace firsthand? The prophets of God wanted in on that. You guys ever asked to see a Christmas present before Christmas? As a kid? Maybe even now? (laughs) Can I take a look? Can I have a peek? What did you get me? Tell me what you got me. The prophets wanted to know, who is this Jesus? What is this grace? What would it be like to experience this? And you know the answer that was given to them? Keep your heads down and do your job. It's not for you. It's for my church. It's for my people. On the day when it's time to receive this salvation, these people are going to experience the grace of God. And your job now, prophet, is to prophesy about this Jesus Christ. Because you know what's interesting about Jesus Christ? He didn't come out of nowhere. If Jesus Christ were to came out of nowhere with no context, and this man arrives on earth saying, I'm the Son of God, follow me, and then he dies on a cross and he's gone. I mean, that'd be a strange story, but you have to look back into the Old Testament and see that for countless generations, the prophets of God were saying he's coming. The Messiah, the Christ, is on his way. And this is what he's going to look like. And so you could take Jesus' life and you can match it up to the prophecy in the Old Testament and go, there he is. But the prophets wanted to know more, give us more, help us understand the grace of God. And it was given to them that they were serving other people, they were serving us. The prophets of God needed to do their job so that you and I can link together the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament coming of Jesus. Because that's really important, isn't it? Isn't that really important to validate that Jesus is the Messiah that was foretold for generations? I think it is. I think it's really important for Jesus to line up with Scripture. Because otherwise, my faith and hope are in someone who can't save me. But Christ does line up. Christ is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And I want you to understand that we are more blessed than the prophets of God because we have experienced firsthand grace. We understand the Lord Jesus Christ. I can look at his life. I can study his life. I can study his teachings. I can have a first-hand relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And even the prophets of God didn't understand that. So we're more blessed than the prophets of God. And it also says that we're more blessed than the angels It says, into things even angels long to look, because we are the primary recipients of God's grace through Jesus. We are even more privileged than the angels. Who are angels? Angels are not just things you see in the media with wings, you know, who fly in and scoop people out of danger. They are ministering spirits of God to do God's bidding whenever God says so. They do it in heaven. They do it here on earth. Whenever God decides to say, go help my people, go bless my people. They do it, they're unseen, they're unknown, and they help God's people simply at God's bidding. They don't know grace by experience. They have only heard of it and seen it third hand. You and I are in a very special category of people. I have received the grace of God firsthand. But the angels, there's only two categories of angels. There's angels who are ministering spirits of God and there's angels who have fallen and are cursed forever. But isn't there a group of people that did sin, that did rebel, that was cast off from God and now have received the grace of God? The angels wanted to know about the grace as well. They wanted to inquire. They wanted to search. They wanted to know this grace firsthand. But it's for us. It's for us. And that's an amazing thing that you and I are in the most special category of people. Because as God's children... We breathe grace in every single day of our lives, don't we? And where would we be without that grace? Without that grace, we die. Without that grace, our sins are our own. We're awaiting the wrath of God, and we are utterly hopeless. We went from the most pitiful creatures to the most blessed creatures imaginable. And without God's grace, we don't have a chance in this world to please God. We just don't. So I hope you're a recipient of that grace. I hope you're a recipient of that glorious salvation. And I need to continually say that this salvation is available to you today if you don't have it. If you don't have this glorious salvation, you can find it today. It's very simple. You need to turn to Christ. You need to believe in him. You need to repent of your sins and say yes to the Lord Jesus. But this salvation is not just for basking in it. Like you do when you go to the beach And you sit under the sun's rays and you just soak up the sun's rays, right? Isn't that a great place to be? Anyone like the beach? Yeah, that's a great place to be. Just soak up the sun, sit under it, you know, let the sun hit you. You know, we met a lady who's from Jamaica, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of sun down there in Jamaica. But this salvation that we have received is not just for basking in it, it's not just for appreciating it and going, I'm so glad I'm saved. Let's go back to my life. That's not what the salvation was given for. This salvation was given to us for a very important purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? Do you know why we've been given the salvation primarily? Godly living. Can I prove that to you from scripture? If you have your Bibles, go to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, and listen to what Titus has to say about the salvation, this grace. It says in Titus two eleven to 14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, Who are zealous for good works. Do you see that in the text? What did this salvation and this grace give us? The opportunity to please God. The opportunity to live for the very reason we were created. Not just to bask in it. There's nothing wrong with basking in this glorious salvation. But that's not the primary intent of this salvation. The primary intent of this salvation is so that you and I can do what we were created to do. Glorify God. Or as it says in Titus, be zealous for good works. Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How are you using your salvation, if you have it? How are you using your salvation? Are you using it for God's purposes? Is God getting back what he spent his son for in your life? Because, yes, we get a lot out of this. We get a lot out of salvation. We get hope. We get the freedom from sin. We get an eternal inheritance that we talked about last week. And we get a strong and almighty God who is securing that forevermore. But what does God get out of it? What does God get out of your salvation? Does he get you? Does he get zealous for good works? Does he get godly and upright and self-controlled people? Because that's the intent. Grace is a tool to make us godly. Godly living for God's purposes and God's will. God needs to get what he paid this salvation for. And this is so foundational. Because what Peter is going to say is he's going to give us instruction. But we have to understand that. That the salvation was given to us for a very unique and wonderful purpose. God's will. And so let's go to the instruction part of First Peter, where it says in verse 13 to 16, therefore, therefore, based on this glorious salvation, based on understanding what it was given to you for, he says in verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Let's go, Christian. This is going to take work and effort because we are now in a race. God places us in a race and he says, prepare your minds for action. It's time to move. We're not just laying here on the beach of God's grace. We have been given God's grace to move and utilize it for kingdom purposes. Godly living, Christ magnification, loving our brother. We went through an entire book of 1 John called Love to Love. Prepare your minds for action, Christian. It's going to take love. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take purpose and work and effort to do what God has called us to do. But this grace is going to help you accomplish it. So Peter says, move. Get ready to move. Be able to move. Don't be heavy. Be light. Be ready to go when God says so. When God gives you something to do, be ready for action. Be purposeful. Be intentional in your life. The next thing he says is being sober-minded. Being sober-minded. Now, that story I told you at the beginning, I wasn't drunk, okay? I wasn't inebriated. But I was drunk in my mind because I was asleep. I mean, close to asleep. That's not a good way to drive, is it? That's basically the same as being drunk, maybe even worse, because my eyes are actually shut. But here it says in 1 Peter, be sober-minded. And the idea here is to be serious. Be serious. Serious. Are we serious? Are we serious people when it involves God's things? I like to laugh. I like humor. But I have learned that it takes a serious, purposeful, and entirely focused mind to do the task God has given me. It just does. It can't be laughed off. We can't shrug our shoulders and go, whoops, I hope so. We'll see what happens. We need to be sober-minded, which means clear, focused, Purposeful, serious, and solemn about the task at hand. And I wonder if some of us are drunk with the world, with the world's things. When God has a very specific and important task for us, is there too much of the world in our minds and hearts that makes you a dreary, drunk person? Peter says, be sober minded. And that takes a mature thought process to say, okay, God, regardless of what people are doing around me, I'm going to do what you have called me to do. Because you can get away with a lot in this life, right? You just can. I know what it's like to be a Christian for 20 years and to go to church and clean myself up and make myself very presentable to God's people and have everybody fooled. But I also know what it's like to go back there on Monday through Saturday and live a life that pleases Todd not sober-minded, not purposeful, not serious, not entirely focused upon the task at hand. Drunk on the world. Peter says, be sober-minded. Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. And the things that are taking your focus, like the things that were taking my focus away from the road, put them away. Take them off. Create an environment for serious, purposeful, living Number three, set your hope fully on the future grace that is coming. In this way, we almost need blinders on. Because blinders make you focus on one thing, right? I think they do that with horses. When horses are running in the race, they like to put blinders on the horses because the horses need to focus on the race only. Because horses can be distracted just like the rest of us, right? So they put what's called blinders on them so they can only see what's in front of them. Only see the race. And Peter's basically saying... I wish you had blinders. I wish you could only see the hope that was waiting for you. Because if you saw only the hope and you were focused entirely upon the other side, you would be motivated. You would be strengthened. You would find endurance to go forward because you're focusing upon the reward. And Peter thinks that's going to help us. If we're prepared for action, if we're sober-minded, and our hope is fully set upon the future grace that is coming... We're going to run and we're going to run well. So Peter says, future grace, future hope, set your mind fully upon it and you will have strength. You will be focused. You will be motivated even amidst storms to say, I can't stay. I have to go forward. I must finish this race. The reward is not here yet. And keep moving And then he says right after this, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We don't have an excuse any longer, do we? To live ignorantly. To be naive about the things of God. There was a time in our life when, be careful with my words, but that was okay because we didn't know any better. I mean, I have children. I know what it's like to raise children and have a stage where a child like our little daughter Evangeline is learning the difference between right and wrong and we have to gently guide her through that process so she understands this is right, this is wrong. We can't can't be too severe in that process because she's learning. She She doesn't understand everything. But there are older children in our family who do understand the difference between right and wrong. And I also know what it's like to see a child be willfully disobedient. You guys know what that's like? For a child to dig their heels in and just say, no, I'm not going to. No matter what you do, I'm not going to. That is willful disobedience. And Peter says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance because you know better. You know better. You've spent enough time doing that stuff already. I mean, I'm 39. And I've wasted 20 years of my life doing things that the world does, doing things that don't please God. I have done enough, Todd. I need to do more Christ. I had to put away my former ignorance and go, there was a time in my life I didn't know better, but there was a lot of time that I did know. What are you doing with those things in your life? Going backwards now is so much worse than sinning in ignorance because we know better. Christ has taught us, What it means to be a Christian. We know how important it is to be holy and to be loving and to live for the will of God. So when we go back to the things of our former ignorance, it's heinous. It's heinous. And then lastly, he ties it all together by saying this. And this is the most shocking one of all in the instruction period here. He says, be holy as God is holy. Is that shocking that Peter would say that? Be holy as God is holy. I used to be shocked by that phrase, by that statement, going, really, Peter? You're telling us to do the impossible? To be holy like God is holy? Is that necessary? You know what I think Peter is saying? Fight as a victor. Live with a person who has hope. We need to change our perspective so that we can see that holy living that pleases God, that is like God, is not only possible, It's commanded so that we will be holy in a way that pleases God. Because you know why? God has given us the power to do so. Do you remember being saved from sin? Do you know what it's like to have the chains ripped away and for you to be free and new? Boy, that's a good feeling. That's a good feeling when you can say no to sin. There was a period in my mid-20s when I finally said no to a sin that was plaguing me for years. And I couldn't believe I said no, but I said no. And I started to not practice it because I believed in who Christ is. And I believed in what he came to do for us. A few weeks ago, I shared this story from John 11. And if you have your Bibles, I do ask that you turn there quickly. Because I do think this is such a good representation of the gospel. John chapter 11, we hear about a story of a man called Lazarus. And if you remember, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, a very close friend of Jesus. But Lazarus in this story dies. He was close to death for a while, and the the word came to Jesus that he should rush rush to Lazarus' side because Lazarus was dying. But Jesus doesn't rush to Lazarus' side, and Lazarus dies. And finally, when Jesus makes his way to where Lazarus is, Mary and Martha meet Jesus on the road and basically say to Jesus, Jesus, it's too late. If you were here you could have saved Lazarus, but Lazarus has been dead for four days. There's nothing to be done. Thank you for coming, but you're not needed any longer. And Jesus basically says to Mary and Martha, didn't you believe that I'm the resurrection? Don't you believe that I'm capable of anything? And they're very confused by that. They're thinking, yeah, Jesus, we know Lazarus is going to wait a future resurrection when his body will be taken up to heaven. But Here on the earth, he's dead. He's been dead four days. His body stinks. There's nothing you can do. And here we find in John chapter 11, the account of this story, where Jesus continually comes to Lazarus. In verse 38 of John chapter 11, listen to what it says. It says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor For he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He's not dead any longer. Do you see that? In Ephesians 2, it says we are dead. We were dead in our sins. Dead. Flatlined. Nothing to be done. The ship has sailed. It's over. If Jesus could have saved us when we were simply Badly off, but not dead. Okay, we could have found salvation, but now that we're dead, what is to be done? And you have to imagine Jesus standing before this tomb four days after the man had passed on. So let's, let's assume Lazarus passed on a Monday. Jesus came on Friday. Four days later. And they're basically saying to Jesus, Jesus, he's not badly off. He's not near dead. I know you can cure the blind. I've seen you cure the lame, but what can be done for a dead man? And Jesus says, roll the stone away and let me show you. So they take the stone. They roll the stone away thinking, what is this going to do? I don't want to smell a dead man. So they roll the stone away and Jesus stands before the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man rises up and walks out of the tomb wrapped in his burial clothes. Is that astonishing? When Peter says, be holy as God is holy, you have to remember the power of Jesus. When you look at that phrase and go, I can't be holy as God is holy, you're looking at the wrong person. Yes, you're not capable of that. But you know who is? The person who can raise the dead. Not only did Jesus raise Lazarus, he rose himself from the dead. Jesus has the power to make us new creatures. And I want to tell you today, do not be bullied and lied to from the devil, telling us you're still chained, you're still a sinner, you're not going to do anything for God. He is a bully, he's a liar, and we have power, don't we? We are victors, aren't we? Because of Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you to stop calling yourself a sinner if you're a Christian. Because I believe that's offensive to God. He saved you from your sin. Yes, I understand there's a flesh. And that flesh still wages war against us. But God has made us a saint through the blood of Christ. We have the power and we are free from sin. And if you're a Christian, live in that victory. Live in that power. And if you're not a Christian, come out. Come out from your sin because you can. You can believe in Jesus and you can conquer your sin and you can be a brand new creature. We just studied 1 John and you know what 1 John says? In chapter 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So the devil had built up a kingdom. You and I were part of that kingdom and that kingdom was rolling for a while. It was gaining people year after year, generation after generation. It was mighty and strong and formidable. But when the Lord Jesus Christ, he went flick and it crumbled. And for those of us who are in Christ, we are not part of that kingdom any longer. We are part of a brand new kingdom. And if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you have his power living inside of you through the Holy Spirit. You're no longer a sinner. Don't call yourself a sinner. That's defeatism. You're a saint. You can live with victory. You can live with power. You can stand up to the devil and you can say no to sin because of our glorious salvation. The last verse is we talk about the weight of the sacrifice and we need to move quickly. Here. We need to move quickly here. But verses 17 to 21, Peter wants to impress upon us the weight of the sacrifice. Because we've been motivated because of the hope of the salvation. We've been instructed based on the basis of that salvation. But now we're going to find the weight of this salvation. Because this isn't just a gift we're speaking of, is it? It's a sacrificial gift of blood. Precious blood. First Peter 1:17 to 17-18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You weren't bought with money, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Do you see what you and I have been redeemed from with this salvation we've been given, this new life we have, this new opportunity to serve Christ is such a blessed privilege, but it's also a very, very weighty responsibility. Because we've been given the blood of Christ. We've been given the grace of God. We've been given a glorious salvation. And I will tell you very, very strongly today, we don't want to waste that. We cannot waste what we've been given from God. Or we will be in the worst category of people who've ever existed. Because the prophets didn't know that. The angels haven't tasted of the grace of God, of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have. Now we're in the most privileged category of people who have ever lived. And Peter says, do not waste that gift. Do not waste it. There's a passage from Hebrews that is very weighty, but I want to read it. And I want you to just listen to the words. It's not one of those fluffy, really encouraging passages. It's kind of the opposite, but I think it's necessary for us today. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. And remember the former ignorance Peter called us out of. He says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who is trampled underfoot the Son of God has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you know what he's saying there? Be careful how you use the blood of Jesus. Jesus Blood is precious and it flowed, it spilled out in abundance. And that blood has the power to save us from sin, from hopelessness, and from death. But if we take that blood and pour it on the ground, and we waste it and we squander it, we are going to find ourselves in the worst category of people. The blood came to our soul, the blood came to us. We received it, we took it, and then we squandered it. And God gets nothing from us on the last day. And I need to say to you today, this is not a game. This glorious salvation is wonderful and magnificent, and I wish I had more time to tell you about that. But it's also very, very weighty. Let us remember these three things, okay? The only way that you and I die, the only way we find ourselves in this category of people from Hebrews chapter 10 Is if we refuse to fight the devil, if we refuse to fight our sin to the death. If we don't fight, if we lay down and say, you know what, I can't, I don't want to, I like my sin, then we find ourselves in a really scary category of people. But if we fight, you know what happens? If we are willing to fight the devil, God fights for us. God fights for us, and we will win when God fights for us. But we must be resolved to use the glorious grace, the glorious salvation as a weapon against the devil. Number two, we have already been saved, already been healed, already defeated death, already been freed from our chains, and we await eternal victory. Do you know that it's a reality? Do you see that victory is not just possible? It's a guarantee. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ and fight with his grace, You're going to win. And that's what the devil knows. He has to lie to you and say, you're not a victor. I still own you. I can get you anytime I want because he knows if you believe in this victory, he's going down. So he has to lie to you and say, it's not a reality. But it is a reality. You're a victor. You're a conqueror. You have the power and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the devil can't defeat that. He wish he could, but he can't. Number three, Jesus is worthy of our devotion. Isn't he? Isn't that why we celebrate communion? Because you're worthy, Jesus. Our glorious salvation was purchased by his precious blood. And without Christ Jesus and that grace, we are doomed. We are slaves to sin. We are slaves to God's wrath. All to Christ's glory. I hope I didn't move too quickly today, but I'm going to hit you with a couple applications while we finish here. Number one, have you been saved from your sins? Have you been saved from the consequences of your sin? Have you been saved from your utter hopelessness? I have, and I give all glory to Christ for that. Are you free from the devil today? If not, you can be. You can be by simply turning to Christ today. Number two, How are you using the glorious salvation if you're saved? How are you using it? Are you using it or are you wasting it? And if you want to understand what it's like to waste it, I can tell you my 20-year experience of wasting the salvation of Christ. It's not a good place to be. But you can come out of it. You can because of God's grace, because of forgiveness. And lastly, what is the Lord Jesus worthy of for shedding his blood in order to save you eternally? What is Christ worthy of? If you had to answer that question, what is he worthy of from your life? What is Jesus worthy of? Don't you think you would say, my all? He is. I hope and I pray that you have understood this glorious salvation today. I hope and I pray that you will use it for God's purposes. I hope that you have eternal hope. And riches waiting for you because you do in Christ Jesus. And I hope that you believe that Jesus is worthy of our all. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to study our glorious salvation. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes all the difference in the world for us. I pray for the souls in this room, Father, that those who are saved would be inspired and encouraged to stand. Today And walk boldly and cast off their sins and be holy as God is holy. And I pray for those souls in this room who may not understand and have the grace of God yet. I pray that you would open those souls today to receive it, to turn to Christ from their sins and be victors forever. We thank you for Christ Jesus. We thank you for the gift we have received. We give you all glory for that gift. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.